Last week, we started off with the vow of priority, which is the idea that outside of your relationship with God, which always comes first, that if you're married, your relationship with your spouse should be your sort of top human relationship, that, that kids can't be number one. We love kids. We're all about some kids. I have two girls, but kids can't come ahead of the marriage, and neither can work or jobs or pursuits or career. Um, nothing should come in uh, above um, the marriage relationship. And, and what we said, though, is that oftentimes life has a way of, of doing that to us, whether we intended to or not, where we have a way of putting things up above it. We talked to you about last week about a lady who said, you know, I think I'm a good mom, but I don't know if I'm a very good spouse. And, and it brought up this issue that I think is so prevalent in our culture, which is whether we're going to be sort of kid-centric in our marriages or we're going to be marriage-centric, relationship-centric in our marriages. And, 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 and in, our, in our culture, we tend towards the kid-centric version of, of things where where all of our marriage and all of our life and all of our activities and all of our vacations, all of our planning, has to, it kind of revolves around the kids and their bazillion schedules and, and oftentimes to the detriment of intimacy and, and that closeness and that passion and that, that fire that you want to have um, in, in a marriage. And so we talked about which one is the right one. You know, if you're going to get one of these out of balance, which one's the right one? And, and we maintain through the scriptures from the scriptures, that if you're married, that a healthy marriage, um, obviously not to the neglect of the kids, we're not talking about neglecting kids, but a God-honoring marriage is the best option for all involved, including the kids. But too often, because of life and circumstances and and changes of seasons in life, um, other things get top priority um, in, our, in, our, in our relationships than the actual relationship itself. And so we painted the picture of kind of how that can happen. And, here, and I read it to you last week, but let me, let me say it again. Like, so a, a man and a woman get married and, and they're, they're on fire and they're passionate and they love each other and they're all about each other and they're going on dates and they're, doing, they're traveling together. But then after a time, they're like, let's, let's have babies. And so they, they make some beautiful babies. And, and, and this isn't always the case, but this happens a lot. The, the wife steps down from her number one priority as wife and, and, and sort of mommy takes the place of, of wife. And so she kind of marries her kids. And, and oftentimes... Um, the husband will do the same thing, but with, with, not with kids, but the career and the job and money and, and advancement and, and making a name or building a business or building a career will suddenly become the priority. And, and his number one priority as a husband takes second place or third or fourth place to the kids. And, and then so for a wife to get to her husband, she has to sort of wade through career stuff and meetings and travel. And, and for the husband to get to his wife, he has to negotiate around all the needs and the scheduling of the kids. And, and what happens over time, a lot of the time, and this is coming from a guy who's counseled many, many, many people. I don't do it as much anymore, but I used to do it a lot. You, you've got marital drifts that starts to take place. And then, then after a while, you get some resentment. And then you get some, what I would call some righteous jealousy. Meaning that if, if, my, if I'm supposed to be number one to my wife, but I find that I'm number two or three and to something else, then, then I have a right to feel a little bit jealous about that. And a lot of times it turns out it's just technology or a phone that, or, or a game system or or there's their hobbies that take their place and, and, and there's a righteous jealousy that goes on and then you get some anger in there and then you get some tension in there and, and, and all of a sudden, um, you, you, when you lead this to go unchecked, you end up as, as roommates and not soulmates. 
That's the, that's the sort of pathway that that leads down. So we said this last week, and it's important that, that you understand that you fall in love most of the time because of attraction. You're like, whoa, look at her. Whoa, look at that guy. And that's great, and that's what brings you together in the initial. But if you want to stay together and stay in love, you're going to have to execute a plan. You're going to have to have a plan. And you're going to need to start doing some right things, and thus the vows, why we're taking these vows again. So our key verse, here we go, Genesis 2.24. We're gonna have some fun here in a minute. Hang with me, let me, let me wade through some stuff first. Genesis 2.24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united, the King James says, cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. Now that word cleave or united that's translated here means to pursue, in the Hebrew, pursue with energy, to cling to. So, Brings me to this next statement, which you may disagree with at first, but I want you to think about it over the long haul. That intimacy over the long haul, and I'm not talking about just sexual intimacy, I'm talking about that closeness, that passion, that, that, that fire, is almost always going to be the result of some effort. Always. Over the long haul. Because wherever you invest yourself, your time, your talent, your money, your resources, you're going to be passionate about that. Right? Whatever has your focus in life will have your passions. That's just true. Like, as I get older, it's funny because I see that as dudes get older, their hobbies get more and more expensive. Can I get an amen, ladies, on that, right? And, and so whatever you, your hobby is, you start to get, you know, passionate about that. Um, like, I'm into cycling right now, and, and the bike that I want, right, and I just bought this other bike, and it was expensive, but now, like, Bill has a bike that's more expensive than my car, and so I'm like, well, I got to have that bike, too, not really. I can't, have, I can't afford it. So he's gonna, I'm just going to have to lust after his bike. You know what I'm saying? And, and be bitter and hope it breaks or something. Are you here, Bill? I'm kidding. I don't really feel that way. But you have passion about something and you put a lot of energy into it. That's where your passions are going to be. And, and this verse from Genesis holds the key to a marriage that's experiencing stagnation and boredom or rut-like behaviors. I want to dig into how, in this message, how if we've experienced that marital drift, if we could say, yeah, there is some rut, like there is, we're not as kind of shiny as we used to be, um, how we can get back the passion, how we can get back the fun, how we can get back the love and the energy. So today we're talking about the vow of pursuit, the vow of pursuit. Point one is that anything worth having and doing in life, and we said this in our last series, is going to require work and energy. It's uphill. So a great marriage requires work. A great relationship with your kids requires work. Great friendships require work. Is that true, right? It just takes some work. You, you don't just happen. You gotta keep at it to keep them going well. And, and it's funny, because we do this early on when we're dating. When you're dating somebody, you're not married. Man, you, especially early on, you, you work at it. You work at being attractive. You know, you get your hair did. You know, you get your makeup did. You know, you get, the dudes are like, I can't wear that, those sweaty jeans for the fourth day in a row, right? I gotta actually wear deodorant. I gotta spray some cologne, right? When you're young, you grab your dad's cologne and you find out that your girl's not attracted to your dad's smell. They want you to have your own smell. Like, I remember when I first got married, I was like, Rach, whatever you do, don't wear this perfume. My mom wears this, and it's going to really not go well. And after a while, she was wearing it all the time, and I was like, what's the deal? Are you trying? You know, I'm just kidding. She didn't do that. Right? But you, you work at it. You work at it. You, you go to the gym or whatever. You work at communicating well, right? You're, you're texting. You're, you're Facebooking. You're FaceTiming. Back in my day, we just did smoke signals and pigeons, you know? Like, three clouds means you're hot. I don't know. I, 
But today it's easy, right? You can just get your phone out and you worked at having fun. If you get out, hey, let's, have, let's go out this weekend and you're like, what can we do? And let's go see a concert. Let's go see a show. Let's go to a movie. And it was always like, hey, let's do something different. Let's do something new. And you worked at that. But what happens over time is even when you're dating over a long time, you start to take each other for granted. And, and, and listen to this. You change the energetic behaviors that caused you to fall in love in the first place. Some of those behaviors helped facilitate that. Of course, it was their qualities, but a lot of times their qualities came to light because you were doing, you were working at it. And, 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 and the result of, of losing some of that is the loss of passion or some boredom or even some tension or that whole roommate versus soulmate kind of an idea. And there are some misconceptions that kind of get us to this point that I want to sort of debunk. The first misconception is this, that if I marry the right person, like if I get the right person, then all the emotions will happen naturally and easily throughout our marriage. But let me tell you something. Married people can tell you this. It's not easy because there are some days you really just want to shove them off a cliff instead of like <laughs> hug them, right? Come on. Like kids, I want, to, I want you to know there are some days your mother thought about pushing your dad over the edge as they were hiking out in the woods. Come on, be honest with me, come on. Like not every day is fun and games and unicorns and daisies or roses, I don't know. Like sometimes you really have, you wish you could trip them a little bit and not break them, but like help them scratch up a little bit so they're just, you could feel your anger towards them. This is how it is. The truth is the best relationships are when two very different people um, go through hard times and still stay together. That something happens when you work through a hard season. As a matter of fact, I have a friend of mine who, who's, who 20 years ago, they went through a, a, an affair. And he would tell you today that he, would, he, would, he hated that that happened in his, in his marriage, but that he wouldn't trade what they have now for that. Like He would do that again because of the amazing fruit that, that was born through coming together through that, which doesn't mean you should go out and have an affair. Nobody's saying that. What I'm saying is that Coming through tough times, whatever they look like, I'm saying to that degree that happened, but whatever they look like, they produce, it produces a beautiful, beautiful fruit. And I want you to consider this. Show me anything in your life where you can neglect it and it will get better. Like, like what about your health, right? Just be eating Twankies and donuts all the time and just not working out ever. Like, how's that working for you? Well, like, I'll show you how that works for you. It's not a good thing, man. You can't just expect, like, like, live however you want to and expect your body to last well for the long haul. Or, or, or what about your yard, fellas? Like yesterday, I spent hours in my yard. It was the first time I'd even really gone in my backyard in like a month because it was just like, why go out there? It's cold and it's raining. That's the two options that I have. And there were some weeds like this tall out there the other, yesterday. Like, and I thought I could just grab them and rip them out and they're like stronger than I am. And I'm like, what? It's a, it's a weed, man. And, and it has spikes and they cut you. And, 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 and by the time you finally do rip it out of the ground with like a backhoe, it pulls out like a clot of dirt like this big and now I got a hole in my backyard. <laughs> Come on, am I right? You can't just ignore the yard and expect good things to happen. Right? So I, I want to borrow from a talk I gave our, our dream team earlier um, in the, the beginning of the year about weeds, ironically. Pro Proverbs 24, this is from Solomon. Now, I want you, as I'm talking about this, I want you to not make me fill in all the blanks. I want you to go there with your relationships, okay? Think about it. He says, Proverbs 24, verse 30, I went past the field of a sluggard, like just a lazy person, past the vineyard of someone who has no sense, Thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds and the stone wall 
was in ruins. So we find here that Solomon's making an observation of a person who's thought it's okay just to kind of let things run their course. Eh, just leave it alone. It'll be fine, right? That's the, and he says he hasn't fostered his property. He hasn't cultivated it like he should. And as a result, time and, and entropy has done its work. And, and, and so we learn from biology and, and from observation that weeds grow fast and wheat doesn't, right? The good stuff in life take work and, and cultivation and, and, and you have to work hard at them to get them to produce. Weeds, you don't have to do anything. They just show up all along. You disrupt the ground a little bit. You pull one weed, 74 more will grow back in their place unless you poison all over, all over your yard. Can I get an amen on that? Like right now, like I'm trying to grow my grass again. I fertilized it a week or so ago and I'm like, Where's the fruit? You know, it's, and all I've seen green in my yard is the, the, the lettuce that's growing all over my backyard. It's like a lettuce patch back there, right? Weeds grow fast, but, but grass and the good stuff, it doesn't go fast. Now, the text doesn't say that this guy was taking, taking, making, taking pains to disrupt his yard. Like he wasn't graffitiing the walls or, or bashing it down with like a sledgehammer. It just says that he just was kind of ignoring it and that weeds took over from there. Because an old saying is that bad grass thrives. Bad grass thrives. Good grass doesn't thrive without effort. You know this, right? You know this. But bad grass thrives. So as a result, his wall is crumbling. Thorns are growing. Weeds are growing everywhere. All because he wasn't paying attention to his stuff. And eventually it strangled out all the good stuff. Why? Because bad grass thrives. So if you don't make relationships and their health a priority, if you allow other things, even good things, to take their place, weeds start to grow. It's just the natural law of things. And as a matter of fact, we talked about this last week, that if you ignore making a relationship, your relationship with your spouse a priority, the enemy actually will come in and he will sow seeds to disrupt. He wants to destroy your marriage. Those of you who are in healthy relationships, you're not married, but you're in healthy relationships, he wants to destroy that. Matter of fact, Jesus teaches in Matthew's Gospel 13. He says this, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seeds in a field. And then he goes to bed because he's done his work for the day. And while he was sleeping, the enemy came in behind him and sowed weeds amongst the wheat. So, so here's something you need to know, that every time you work hard at your marriage or work hard at your health or you work hard at whatever, the enemy is going to come along right behind you and create drama for you every single time. Some of you, you're like, man, we're gonna really focus on our marriage and then the next week something terrible happened. And you're like, what's going on? It's the enemy. The spiritual enemy will always come in behind. Some of you are like, I'm going to read the Bible for the first time in years, and you're reading it for four or five days, and then something comes up, and next thing you know, you're four days behind or you're five days behind because something got happened. Some dramatic thing happened. You're like, man, I've lost my way. This is the, the way the enemy works. And, and so you can't say, well, I went to a marriage workshop like six years ago, and, and so I'm good for the rest of our life. It's good. Like, you, you can't say, hey, remember that time we had a series last year around this time and you taught about it and we've been good ever since. We didn't have to do any work again. It doesn't work like that. Which brings me up to misconception number two, and that is this. Positive, one-time events and experiences and actions should fuel the relationship and our emotions for the long term. Like, oh, we did that thing that one time. Remember that one time we did that one thing? Like, that can't be the thing that fuels your relationship. The truth is, is that marriage requires work every day. And, and as a man, like, men, you can relate to me. Like, I'm like, 
it was Valentine's and I scored some major brownie points. But let me tell you something about that. Those expired at midnight of the same day <laughs> because they ate the brownies already. Come on. You gave them the chocolates. They're already gone. Now you got to do it again because marriage takes work. Like marriage, good, great marriages, they don't come easy. Like I know you see people go, man, they just seem to have it all together. They work at that. Trust me, they work at it. They, they, they must be fought for a tooth and claw. Whereas bad relational habits, they take no work at all. Do nothing and they'll just be there. You'll just look up one day and go, man, our marriage is filled with weeds. How'd they get there? Well, they came up while you were doing nothing. And that's the thing about weeds. It doesn't take any work to grow weeds. Like go to my backyard, they're growing everywhere. You don't have to do anything to grow them. All you have to do is not do what you should be doing and weeds are inevitable. So you think, well, it's a big deal, man. We got married, we're good. It's all good, you know? No, you gotta work at it. So, so in light of that, let me ask you a question. And I'm gonna sandwich it between two statements. Here's the statement. Weeds love cracks, yes or no? They love cracks. Question, what is slipping through the cracks in your relationship? Statement, crack kills. Crack kills. What, what's slipping through the cracks that you're not seeing? What, 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 what about your relationship that you used to love that you don't love anymore? Where do you need to put some effort and some energy into? So misconception number three is that when we have no emotions or have fallen out of love, there's no way to get the love back. Might as well just separate and go our separate ways. Wrong, wrong. The truth is, is that your love can return to you. The passion, the fire, the energy, the fun can return to you if, number one, you remember when and how you pursued each other in the beginning. Number two, when you ask your spouse for forgiveness for letting the weeds grow that are growing in your relationship right now, the cracks in your relationship. And number three, you go back and do what you did in the beginning. So let's think about what we did in the beginning. Those of you who've been married a while, what did you do when you were dating, right? See, when, when, as a man, I'm gonna speak for the men here, when, when we find the girl, we will kind of do almost anything in order to attract her and get her. It's like a hunt. It's like hunting, like, like those of you who are deer hunters, you'll do horrifying things to yourself to shoot a deer. Like they sell deer urine and dudes will spray this on themselves to shoot a poor little deer, man. Come on. Like you'll sit in blinding cold weather in a blind, right? And you'll stay quiet and motionless. You couldn't stay motionless any other time of your life, but in a deer blind, you just sit there for like six hours at a, a day, freezing to death, smelling like whatever you sprayed on yourself. You know what I'm saying? Like we'll do this, and we'll do this for for our woman as well. Like like when I was a, when I was dating Rachel, man, you know, we would talk on the phone. Uh, because that's, and we, it was a landline. You know what I'm saying? You had to like push buttons and ringers and such. And, and we would just talk, because she lived in Beaumont and I rescued her from that, plays Jesus. Like, like she rescued me from a lot of things, but um, I rescued her from Beaumont. Anyways, just be heavy breathing that late at night, but because but you're asleep, you know what I'm saying? Not in a good kind of heavy breathing way, right? Like as a dude, because you're like, I, I can't, because I don't like talking on the phone. Like I just, I do not like talking on the phone um, but except for if I'm in the car driving because I'm bored and I'm ADD and I need something to do. So I'm like, hey, let's call somebody and talk. Seriously, that's how it goes. Um, 
Like you, you pretend like you like shopping. You know, you're like, hey, let's go to La Quintera again, you know? So you can hold her hand until your hands are sweating. Like I saw these kids the other night at the Noel's high school thing, and these kids, the, for three hours, they had their hands in a death, and it literally looked like they were like the claw. It's like, dude, that, your hands are never gonna, they're like, what's wrong with my hand? You've been in a death claw with her for like the last three hours. But you know, when you're first dating, like that's number, that's like first priority is to be able to hold hands, you know? And it's like, you'll just be having mold growing in there and sweat, <laughs> cheese developing, you know, hand cheese. They sell it at Whole Foods. Um, anyways. <laughs> then you'll pretend like you like her parents, you know what I'm saying? Her cat, Muffin, you know, you'd be like, oh, I love cats. And you're like, you're allergic. Your eyes are all swollen when you're leaving. Snot's dripping like sickles down your face. I love cats, really. Anyways, true, true story, I was dating Rachel. When we first started dating, she finally was like, hey, you should come meet my parents. And so I drove to Beaumont, and I was sitting there with her dad. I pray to God he doesn't listen to this message. And, and, and I was trying to, you know, make some points with him. And, and he's like, hey, man, I'm into, I'm into treasure hunting and stuff. And he's from, he's from East Texas, so he's very country. He's like, now listen to this. And he gets this novel out of treasure hunting stories. And I'm like, what's happening? What's happening right now? He's reading to me. I don't, I don't want to be here. And so Rachel comes in there with her mom and her sisters. And they're like, hey, we're going shopping, and we'll see you later. And I'm like... No, you know, one hour, man. He was just listening to this now, listen to this story. It's real interesting, real interesting. And I was like, I'm, somebody kill me right now, kill me. <laughs> Never did that again, praise Jesus. But you have to do all that. Like, why do we do, why do we put ourselves through all this? There's a prize, man. There's passion, man. I, I want that girl and we'll do anything. And then, and then we get to kill marriage, you know, and uh, very romantic. And we have some kids, and a few years go by, and then there's some hair loss, and then there's some, a paunch that develops. And, and, you know, dude, stuff happens to us, too, so don't act like it doesn't. And just want to throw that out there. Suddenly, t- 10 years go by, and we're like, man, what happened? And there we are at Luby's, you know, just eating, like, low-sodium cabbage, you know, and that green jello with the nuts in it. And we're like... Nobody's talking. We're just eating and looking around in space, you know, and we're like, what happened, man? We stopped pursuing. That's what happened. We stopped pursuing. We took all the mystery out of the marriage, and this is the point. You see this a lot of times in that three- to seven-year window. You see this where people stop doing the stuff that they did initially, and they have kids, and they do all this stuff, and have the kids, but they stop pursuing, and then it just, this is where trouble starts to happen. Some of us need to be honest and, and admit maybe the marriage is a little bit dusty and maybe we're in a little bit of a rut. Maybe there's some weeds growing in the cracks that we've ignored and, and we've neglected it a little bit. We've gotten sidetracked on, on, on our kids or on our career or, and, and we've, we've let our, the romance suffer for it. So, so, so look again at the passage we read, Genesis 2:24. A man leaves his father and mother and he's united. And the word united again, cleave, means to pursue with energy, to, to cling to but, but it doesn't stop when we catch our bride. It should keep going throughout the relationship, and that's your challenge, the vow of pursuit. Oh, yeah, that's how I did it at the beginning. Oh, yeah, what if we try to do some of that stuff again? I know it's difficult, but what if we try to do some of that stuff again? And here's the thing. I'm not saying anything today that you don't already know. Right? You know all this stuff. But, but here's the truth. There's a fine line between intention and reality, isn't there? And a lot of times our good intentions will suffice us 
And, and, and we're like, well, I have good intentions, so, but, but here's the deal. The, 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 a lot of their marriages and a lot of relationships are struggling, parent relationship with kids, because we had good intentions, but they didn't follow through with reality, like actual action. So, so let's give some practice to this. I, I, wanna, I want you to bring two kinds of energy. I, there, I, I could do 10, but let me just pick two that I think are doable. And the first one is verbal energy, verbal energy. And I mean speaking life. Here's what Solomon said in Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. What he's saying here is that our words have the power to kill hopes, dreams, self-esteem, attitudes, or they can heal. They can kill or they can heal. There's a little death in our words if we choose that, or there's a little life in them. And so we have to be conscious to choose life, that our, with our very words we can speak blessings and, 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 and hope and encouragement and, and, and good words. And, but out of that same mouth you can speak words of criticism and words of slander, that you can literally speak a little bit of death into a relationship just by your words. There's tons of marriages that are struggling because of words of death or they've died because of words of death. And there are tons of marriages that are doing great because people have learned the value of fitly spoken words. So we have to choose as a parent, as a, a husband, as a wife, as a friend, not to let our words be a kind of kryptonite to, to, to our spouse. Because you've all been here before where you're in this great mood and you feel great and you feel life and joy and somebody comes along and two seconds just sucks all the joy right out of you. Come on, have you been there before? And sometimes it's our spouse and, and, and ladies and, and gentlemen. With your mouth, you can change the whole temperature of the, your house. Your kids could be in having a blast. And you walk in and the whole mood changes because of your mouth. Man, speak life. Don't tear it down. doesn't mean you don't have to have hard, to, conversations that are tough and, and involve critique, right? But don't be a criticizer, man. Don't do that, right? Instead, here's the practice of speaking life. If you think something good about your spouse, about your child, about your friend, what? Say it. Like, say it. It's unbelievable how we think about, like, I, I found guys, parents who say, man, I wish I had told my kids what I thought about. I always thought it, but I never said it. And they grew up with a dad who never told them that he loved them or he was proud of them. I, I was proud of them. I did love them, but I never told them. I had, I, there was some block in my brain because my dad didn't do it. Or, or maybe you're a kid and you didn't hear your parents say good words to each other. And so you're like, well, I just never grew up with it. Don't, don't use that as a, an excuse. Th th thinking about something nice to your spouse or your friend or your kid and not saying it is like buying, going out and buying them the best present, getting it gift wrapped and then putting it in your closet and forgetting about it. M matter of fact, Jesus says in John 13, I think it's verse 34 and 35. He says, by this will all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one, two, Another, not four. A lot of people say four, but it's not, it doesn't say four. It says two. Because here's the thing. Like, I can have something for you, but until I give it to you, it does you no good. And Jesus says, the way that people are going to know that you love one another is how you do things to one another. So if you have a good thought, say it. Just 
say it. Because here's the thing about us as human beings is we're quick to, to say the flaws that we discover in one another, aren't we? We're, we're kind of flaw-focused. And like, like some of you, you remember the thing that your husband or your wife did 39 years ago in vivid detail, and it's very easy for you to pull out when it, when it helps you in an argument you're having with them, right? Come on. Like, remember back in 1977 when you did that thing that you did, you know? And they're like, what? And, and, but, but we're flaw-focused. But what if we instead remember the 900 billion things that they've done right since then? And we were quick to speak life and, and compliments and, and, and two kinds of, of words here. Words of affection and words of affirmation. And I'll direct the affection words to the, late, to the men for a minute, right? And, and let me get real specific to you guys. When I'm talking about affection, gents, I'm talking about non-sexual affection. And some of you are like, well, what's that? What's a non-sexual affection? Well, what that is is it's affection that is non-sexual. That's what it is. So words of affection, you start out with, hey, I love you. Now, I want you to stop. Remember the first time you heard it? One of two things happened. You got the heebie-jeebies both times. If they said it like on your second date, you got the heebie-jeebies like, oh, dear God, clinger, stalker, right? But when you actually liked them a whole lot and they said it to you, you got the heebie-jeebies in a good way, right? But take five or 10 or 15 years or 20 years of hearing, hey, have a great day, love you. Hey, going to the store, love you. Hey, great meal, love you, right? It loses a little bit of its energy unless you add a word. I love you because. And you fill in the blank. And all of a sudden, words of affection start coming. And you start to think, man, what are all the ways that I love my wife? And you, you tell her that. Maybe you bullet point it out or maybe you write it in a card, but you, you say it. L look at how Solomon did this. He wrote a letter, um, a, a, a series of letters to uh, his girl and it was called the Song of Songs or the Song of Solomon. You've heard of this, right? And in chapter seven, verse two, I, I don't get this, but this is how they, this is apparently what they did back in the day. He says, your navel is a rounded goblet that never lacks blended wine. Like you have this giant belly button that we can drink a <laughs> cup of wine out of. Your waist is a mound of wheat encircled by lilies. Like, I don't, I don't get it, but apparently it was a thing back in the day, right? And then, and then in verse three, he says, your breasts are like two fawns, the twins of a gazelle. They're like two furry, small woodland creatures, you know? <laughs> Bambi, you know? And I don't get that either, but he used it in a previous chapter, the same exact line, and it must have worked. And he's like, yeah, filing that one away, I'm gonna use that one again. Boom, baby, you know what I'm saying? And, 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 but what's he doing? Forget what he says, because I don't get it. But what was he doing? He's, he's, he's giving life um, to his good thoughts. He's speaking them out. Like, and he's doing this over and over again. The whole letter is written like that. And, and this is his, her response, because the letter's an exchange back and forth. And here's what she says back to him in response to those kind words. I belong to my lover, and his desire is what? For me. You find me a more secure statement than that. Like the net result of going, babe, I love you. You're, they're like two furry, small woodland creatures. They're, your belly button is amazing. Like drinking wine out of it is incredible, you know? Like the result of that is like, I know that he loves me, that he, he has the hots for me. He likes me. So ladies, let me give you something, some advice here, is that you offer your, your man words of affirmation because most men, not all of them, but most men are like me in that we're a little bit like, we're recovering affirmation junkies, we like for people to tell us when we do good. We like for people to go, dude, right on, man. That was great. You know, good job or whatever. We love that stuff. And so 
it's important that you fill that for, for, for your guy, that you tell him. Like for me, when my wife says, babe, I just loved watching you interact with our girls the other day. Man, I can live a whole week off of that one compliment, right? That's just how it is. I think it was Mark Twain that said that. I can live a, a, a week off of one good compliment. And I think that most men are, are like that. But, but a lot of times, and this is not to say that of every woman, right? But that a lot of times what we hear instead is nagging or, or tearing down or, or, or you know, and, 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 and what he's not and what you want him to be. And you're like, yeah, but I told him 53 times to take out the trash. But maybe he's testing you to see if he can get your new record to 60 times. <laughs> right? Right? But, but whatever the case is, your opinion of him matters to him until it doesn't because he knows that with you, he just can't win. So you, words of affirmation are, are super important. So, man, if you have something good to say, if you think it, say it. That's verbal energy. And the second one, and we're done, is, is romantic energy. And now I got the guy's attention. You're like, yeah, this is why I come to church. Tell us how to do some romance stuff. Read some more Song of Solomon, man. That's good stuff in there, man. Like some of you are like, hey, you read, and you read on, you're like, I'm going to read this tonight in the dark with the candles on and some James Ingram with my wife in the room. Kids, you can't read Song of Solomon. It's kind of PG-18 or so. Um, it's good reading, the FYI. But, but here, let's, here's the challenge for us fellas and ladies is that when we start to have kids, can we just be honest? Stuff happens, man. Stuff happens to our bodies. Stuff happens. The smells in the house start to change with a little bunch of kids in the house, you know. Like in our car, I remember, especially in the summer in 110 in San Antonio, it always just smelled like spoiled milk in our car. <laughs> going out on a date, hey, babe, fine, going on a date. It's like, what's that smell? It's like a diaper back there we forgot, you know, for three days ago. She changed the, they open up the hatchback and they change it in the back seat and then they throw the diaper there. I'll get that later. And then it's like, what's that smell? And now it's fermented and there's some kind of thing, it's moving around by itself back there. <laughs> it's alive, you know. You, you, you got slobber, and there's spilled milk, and, and you add no sleep, and then it's just we're not very attractive for a little while there. Come on, come on, be honest, right? And so you're like, eh, we'll do that next Tuesday. I know it's Tuesday's our normal night to do that, but let's do it next Tuesday. Or let's, can we schedule that out a couple of years from now until we get through this phase? You with me on this, right? And the love and the romance goes to the waste. So here's the practice of romantic energy You've got to date your mate. You've got to date them. Ch check out so Solomon's lady. And this is verse 11. I read to you verse 10. She says, come, my lover, let us go to the countryside. Let us spend the night in the villages. Let me interpret that for you in modern context. What she said was, hey, I got on Priceline, and I got us a room downtown. And we're going to, no kids tonight, right? And he's like, score one. Like, I don't care if you're going into debt. He's like, yes to that. Come on, that's what, that's the, the Bible says to go on Hotwire and go to the villages. Go to Fredericksburg and walk around and look at all that dusty junk in there, but stay in the hotel because magic happens in the hotel for married people alone. Ladies, give me an amen on that one. That's what she did. She went and scheduled a price line. Like some of you are like, well, man, I can't afford can't afford to that. Well, let me tell you another secret that you can learn, especially if you have little kids. Now, back in my day, it was Dora the Explorer. You just put on a Dora Explorer in the other room. You got 23 minutes to go, Diego, go. Come on, somebody. Yeah. Tweet that out without context. Nobody's going to know what you're talking about. If you thought, you're like, that's it. I'm never coming back to this church. 
Like, if you've thought about going on a vacation together, do it, right? If you thought about going out on a date, just the two of you, no kids, do it. If you thought about going on Priceline to get a room for the night, uh, night on the town, man, do it. Put some romantic energy back into the thing. Work at it. It could be a day. It could be at night. It could be a swanky joint. It could be Chick-fil-A. You know, it could be Las Palapas, whatever. Just go hang out without the kids. Somebody will take care of them, right? Somebody will help them. Hire people, man. Pay money. It's worth it. And listen, my kids from the time, I practice this, I promise you. I'm not up here saying stuff I don't do. My kids from the time they were a little bitty, man, they know mom and dad go on date nights a lot. We do that. We go, we go on date lunches. If we can't do date night, we're going to have a date lunch. And then I take my girls. I'm the dad of two girls. I, I take them on dates, and I, I want them to know how a young man should treat them. And if they don't, they're not going to be young men anymore. They're going to just be dead. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and, and, and I, this is a pro tip for all the dads of, of, of girls, man. I take my girls out to really expensive food so that the boys could never afford this kind of food. <laughs> I'm not going to Taco Bell. Dude, my dad takes me to Ruth's Chris. What's wrong with you? Like, I'm 46. I can afford a little bit more than I could when I was 16. Can I get an amen, fellas? I'm going to wreck it for all those boys. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to open their door. And if the boy doesn't open their door, they're going to be like, you better get over here and open my door. My dad opens my door. You know what I'm saying? You know what it teaches my girls, though? When I do this stuff, it teaches them independence. It teaches them mom and dad's marriage is important. My kids see me go on a vacation every year with just my wife, and they have since they were little. Yeah, it's complicated to figure out the child care. Every time it's complicated to figure it out, but it's so worth it for the good of my marriage, and my kids see mom and dad's marriage is super important. Mom loves dad. Dad loves mom, and they're into each other. They really dig each other. Like, I'll kiss my, my wife right in front of me, like, oh, dear God. I'm like, hey, it's getting, hey, it's getting heavy over here. You know, like, take in a room. Okay, you gave me permission. All right. <laughs> go, Diego, go, right? I don't know how that happened right now, but uh, it's, it's, that's why I got to stay in the notes. I'm done. I, I'm done. I'm done. If you got the notes, I hope you got notes there. If you didn't, get some on the way out. Because this next bit is not me. I got it from some doctors. I, I don't remember their names, but it's in the notes. This is a formula for intimacy, which is what I'm talking about. This is the power, the vow of pursuit is about intimacy. Here it is, ready? Connect 15 minutes a day. And while you're connecting, just 15 minutes, you carve out 15 minutes to connect emotionally. So you look into each other's eyes because a lot of times we're just going and coming, going and coming. We don't look each other in the eye. We're texting, look into each other's eyes, Share a positive thought, a feeling, words of affection, words of affirmation. Do that. Do that. Spiritually, maybe you've read a verse that day on you version. Hey, babe, look at this verse, man. This really meant something to me today. I just wanted to share that with you. So you're, you're, you're connecting spiritually and emotionally. And finally, you're connecting physically, right? So you're hugging for 20 seconds. Like, not just this little deal, not, not the bro hug, but like a real hug, like full frontal huggage, you know? 20 seconds. You kiss passionately every day, right? Five to 30 seconds. It doesn't have to lead somewhere. Oftentimes it will. That's a byproduct. Praise Jesus for that. But, but just kiss, right? Like without any strings attached, just kiss. 15 minutes a day. Not 15 minutes of kissing, but all the stuff you take. Now, that's 15 minutes a day. Now, one evening a week, just the two of you. On a walk, on a date, caressing with no demands, although... Good luck with that. Um, but one evening a week, the ladies are appreciating me right now, saying it doesn't always have to go somewhere else, right? One day a quarter, make time for special fun, 
like, and, and going out, just the one of you, I mean, just the two of you, just the one of you, just the two of you, but see ya. He said, I could just go by myself, so you're out. <laughs> just one full day, like a Saturday. Hey, kids, we're gonna go to Fredericksburg today. You're going to grandma's house today. We're just gonna go hang out all day long in Bernie, or we're gonna go do whatever we wanna do today. One time a quarter, everybody can do this. I promise you, everybody can do this. And then one weekend, or if you can pull it off one week a year, you go away to somewhere together. Or you send your kids away somewhere and you just stay at home and just sleep the whole week, you know what I'm saying, and watch Netflix, right? But you spend time alone without distractions, without kids, without phones, without devices, and you just hang out. That is a formula, a recipe for intimacy. Like, listen, if you didn't hear anything else I said today, that stuff right there, that's good stuff. And if you can practice this, if you can even try to work this in, I promise you, your relationships will regain the passion and the intimacy that you've lost. Some of the, us, have, to be honest, we've lost. Do it, man. If you, if you, if there's verbal energy. There's romantic energy. If you think something, say it, right? If you have a chance to date your mate, make it a priority to date your mate, and it'll, it'll be good. You ready? Let's pray. Lord, thanks so very much. God, for just the fact that we've had some fun here today, but more importantly, that your word um, hopefully has come alive to us, that from the words of Solomon and, and the words from the beginning, the first book of the Bible, Genesis, Lord, that these words have come alive to us. The Bible says that, that those who know to do good and do it not, to them it's sin. That's what it says. So for us to neglect our relationships, to neglect our marriages, to allow them to grow weeds and not to do something about it, it's, it's sin. It really is. It's really not, it's not spiritually healthy. It's not good for anybody. And I just pray that we would pay attention. That's all it really takes is just for us to pay attention. And paying attention requires something of us. The, the word pay should be an indicator of the fact that attention costs. And I just pray that we would not get lazy or sluggish in our relationships, but that we would work at them every day. We wouldn't just say, hey, that one time I did that one thing. No, but we would be focused on you. And as we focus on you, we would focus on one another. And as a result, our kids will be better off if we've got them. Lord, I just pray your blessings and your grace over marriages and over relationships, over single folks who may be looking, God, or, or people who are involved in relationships that are healthy and whole. And if they're not, help them to become healthy and whole and Christ-honoring. I pray all these things in Jesus' name, Lord. And God, that if we're in a place that we need help, that we would ask, that we'd find help, that we'd get that counseling, we'd, we'd talk to somebody, Lord. We'd find somebody with a good relationship and ask them to coach us. God, that we wouldn't just try to figure this out all on our own, but that we would be wise, Lord, and we would use other people's experience and time and, and energy, Lord. And I pray your blessings over our time together, and, and I pray your blessings over every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. amen. God bless you. Thanks so much for being here.